Well, children and parents and grandparents and everybody else, we're going to be thinking uh, in our family service message this morning about joy. And that is one of the things which bridges the two stories that we have been looking at this morning. Uh, There was joy to the angels, uh, joy from the angels to the shepherds, rather, when the birth of Jesus was announced. The angel tells the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And the shepherds are filled with joy and they leave all their flocks and they go to find Jesus. And it's the same with the wise men. Uh, David read the passage of the, the wise men's going first to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem. And there we read that when they saw the star they rejoiced greatly with great joy. That's a way of just saying they were uh, super joyful uh, when the star brought them to Jesus. I want you to think of some of the, the times when you have known joy so that we can begin to get a little bit of a feel for how it was for both the shepherds and the wise men. You know, some of the things that we may not think are all that uh, Christmassy or, or, or even churchy, but they give us an idea of what it was for the, jo- the, the shepherds and the wise men to feel real joy. Uh, maybe it might have been at school when the announcement was made of a competition, and you didn't think that you'd done very well in the competition, and there, suddenly, your name was read out, and you had won the competition, and you were filled with great, exceeding joy at that result. Or maybe if you were thinking about joy, uh, your mind might go back to the best ever holiday that you ever had. And particular feelings of just really being so, so happy, having an amazing time, doing exciting things, being with family or friends that you loved being together with. And you just didn't want it to stop. Because joy is like that. It's such a, a wonderful feeling that you don't want it to stop. And joy takes different kinds of forms, uh, and sometimes it's a kind of bursting out joy, you know, like fireworks going off at Guy Fawkes night, with bangs and with showering lights and uh, crackers and so on. Uh, you know, when we have birthday cake sometimes here, uh, and the birthday cake comes in, or if you're at home and the poppers going off when you're celebrating a birthday, there's great joy there. So sometimes it's a noisy kind of joy, but also joy can be a quiet experience. Like maybe if you were thinking about a joyful time, it might be simply sitting quietly with uh, your mum or your dad or a friend or somebody that you really love, and you're just sitting with them and you didn't have to say a word at all because you were just completely happy being with them. And that too is joy joy. And that gives us a little bit of an idea of what is going on with the wise men, because I think there is a real sense in which uh, the wise men were seeking joy. They were looking forward to an encounter with joy. They were, what was he, anticipating it. They were looking forward to this joy. What do we know about the wise men? I think that when David read the passage, uh, he read out Magi, didn't you David? It was Magi from the east that came. And you know what? 
That simply means wise men. It's the, it's the Greek for, for wise men. So they were probably uh, people who were quite learned and they very likely were what we call today astrologers. They were interested in looking at the stars. And we think that there were three of them, but we're actually not told that there were three of them, are there? We're just told that wise men or magi came from the east. And the reason that we say three very often is that there were three gifts. And so we assume that if there was gold and frankincense and myrrh, there were three people. But maybe not. Maybe there were 33 wise men. We don't really know. Uh, They were doing something which was common in their day. They were looking at the stars and they were thinking that the stars could predict what was going to happen in the future. Now, that's not something that we're encouraged to do. But the Bible tells us it's wrong to do that because we're only to, to, to uh, look to the Bible for God's uh, will for our lives and for our futures. But God used this practice uh, to uh, bring to their attention this new and supernatural star which had been placed in the sky. We're not sure where they lived. Uh, could have been Babylon or Persia or Arabia. Probably Babylon. Because in Babylon, there were a lot of Jewish people living. And in Babylon, they would probably have consulted uh, some of these Jewish people, or maybe would even have been reading the Jewish Bible themselves. And they may have come across this verse here from the uh, book of Numbers, uh, where it speaks, uh, this is actually uh, Balaam, uh, a prophet who is speaking, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. That's interesting because it's talking about a a scepter is what a king holds. So it's talking about a king coming and it's connecting it with a star. So let's think about that. These wise men, they've made a connection. They've found a mention of star in the Jews' Bible and from that point, I think that they would have begun to, to dig a little bit deeper. And they would, have, they would have had their questions. We would have had questions if we had made this discovery. We would have wanted to know a little bit more about what the Bible said about this coming king. And if they had done that, then they would have discovered that there was a promise that there was going to be a king who would come from David's line, a descendant of David, whose kingdom would be an everlasting kingdom. And then they would have learned that he was going to be a priest. A priest who would actually sacrifice himself for his people. And they may have gone to Isaiah. In fact, I'm sure that they would have been reading in Isaiah. Because Isaiah is full of prophecies of this coming king. And Isaiah says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds... We are healed. So they would have read about his death, being a death for others. And they would have come across this wonderful verse that speaks about his burial. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. And they would have certainly understood that this was to be no ordinary king because if they had read in Isaiah, they would have read that he was to be the son of God coming to earth. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, 
And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace is he. That's why they made this journey. They made this journey to welcome the king who is God. They hadn't made the journey to welcome Herod when he became king or his sons when they were born, but they made the journey to welcome Jesus. And I'm sure that uh, they would have had other insights as they read the Old Testament that would have thrilled them as they thought about meeting this newborn king because they would have learned that this king would grow up to be uh, a gentle but strong king, that he would not be like the kings that they had experience of who were harsh and cruel and got their way by, by killing and brutality, but that this king would be a king who was compassionate and gentle, who welcomed people who were exhausted, and who was careful with people whose lives were like candles that were on the verge of going out. He was careful to be gentle with them. And for all of these reasons, they left their homes and their wives and their children and their slaves and their businesses and they crossed deserts and they climbed mountains and they went across rivers for joy. Looking for the joy that they would find in this king. And they came, first of all, to Jerusalem. Now, Bethlehem is quite close to Jerusalem. I don't think the star directed them to Jerusalem as such. I think that they would probably have thought that the logical place to look for a king is a palace. So you go to a palace, you find out where the king is. And Jerusalem was the, the capital city of Israel. And in Jerusalem was the palace. And so they went to the palace and they asked uh, uh, in Jerusalem about a uh, word of a king to be born. Where do we find the one who's been born king of the Jews? We've seen his star and we've come to worship him. And you know what surprised the wise men as they asked this question? It was the blank faces that looked back at them. They were all excited. They were all pumped up to go and find this newborn king and nobody else who were a lot nearer than they had been were excited. They were they couldn't care less really. Some of them seemed to be a little bit uneasy about the news that there was going to be a king. And word got to Herod in the palace that there were these people who had come all this distance and they were talking about a new king. And so Herod probably wasn't much of a Bible reader, I guess. He called in the people who did know their Bibles and asked them if the Bible had anything to say about a king and a star. And the scribes told him about the promise about an anointed one, about the Messiah, and that it would be in Bethlehem where this king would be born. 
And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And now Herod got worried. Got really worried. Because Jerusalem was big enough for only one king, and he had to be that king. He wasn't wanting another king to be born in Jerusalem. So he hatches a plan. And he pretends that he is interested in going to worship the Messiah, this newborn king. And he sends off the wise men with instructions. They're to go and worship him. And he says to them, you know, I really, really, really want to worship him as well. So when you worship, you come back and tell me, and I will go and worship him also. But it's all a trick, because all he wants is to know where the baby is. So he can kill the baby. That's so strange, isn't it? There's all the people in Jerusalem, and they don't care that there is a newborn king. And then there's these people who've come all the distance, thousands of miles, to find him. And they're excited. And they're looking to joy. That's how it is sometimes in our lives also. Sometimes the people who are near have got great privileges know their Bibles, back to front, ignore the King Jesus. Sometimes people who come in uh, without knowing anything come and look with joy for Jesus. And Jesus himself has promised that if we seek him, we will find him. And that's what happens. The star reappears. It leads them to Bethlehem, which was the place that the scribes had said would be the birthplace. And they are overjoyed. They rejoice with exceeding joy. And probably, probably they asked around in Bethlehem and eventually they were led to the most unlikely of places. A cave, probably where animals were kept. And there... Oh, sorry, that's wrong. Don't listen to me. That was a wrong bit of information there. Uh, It was the shepherds that came to the stable. At this point, it's a house in which uh, Jesus and the baby are. And they eventually came to where that was, and they are filled with joy. They had joy in seeking Jesus, and now in finding Jesus... The joy spills over. And that is what it's like when we find Jesus as our Saviour and our Lord. Some of you may have heard about a a book that was written by a a very learned man. He was a professor who for many years had not believed in God. And when he became a Christian, he said it was like being surprised by joy. And he believed, of all places, outside a zoo. This is what he said happened. I was driven to Whipsnake, a zoo, one morning, one sunny morning. When we set out, I did not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And when we reached the zoo, I did. 
Yet I had not exactly spent the journey in thought, nor in great emotion. It was more like when a man, after a long sleep, lying motionless in bed, becomes aware that he is now awake, surprised by joy. So joy in finding, and then lastly, there is joy in worshipping. We're told that they went into the house and they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bent down and worshipped him. Now, as we said earlier, I think this is more than just honouring someone they believed to be a king. Because they didn't treat Herod in that way. But they know that the one who is before them is more than just a helpless baby, though he is that. He is the Son of God. This was what made all the difference. And everything that they had experienced up until this point pointed to that. What they had discovered in their Bibles as they read in the East, the, the star that led them all the way, the word that it would be in Bethlehem, and the confirmation as the star took them to Bethlehem, their remarkable journey in safekeeping. And here they now are. And it's wonderful that they were not put off by the fact that this king for whom they had made this journey was not found in a grand palace surrounded by servants. Yes, it's no longer the smelly stable, but I've no doubt that the house that they were renting was a very basic house, a very ordinary house. They hadn't found Jesus in the palace where Herod was. Instead, they found him in this humble house. And they're not put off. They worship and they adore him. That's so good. Plenty of people want to make Jesus in their own image. They want a Jesus that's cool or a Jesus that thinks uh, the kind of things that they would like him to think. Perhaps a Jesus who gives out health and money and they're not ready for a Jesus who gathers poor and needy people around him and tells everybody, if you will follow me, then you need to deny yourself and take up your cross every day. This was their great discovery now. They were in the presence of God and God is to be worshipped and adored. And they bent the knee. And they brought to him the costliest gifts that they could bring. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. And the Bible tells us, and we're going to sing about this uh, shortly. The Bible tells us that uh, at the end of the age, when Jesus comes again, the kings of the earth will bring their treasures to him. All will bow down to him. In Jesus' life on earth, kings did not respect or honour him. In fact, they came together to plot against him. But one day, they will honour him. And the gifts of the wise men 
look forward to that day when Jesus will be recognized by everybody. Whether they trusted him in this life or not. As the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So we have a great example in these wise men as we anticipate celebrating Christmas. This is a time of exceeding great joy. God has done great things for us. He has sent a Savior. He has done for us the greatest and the most important thing that we need. He has provided forgiveness for our sins through Jesus Christ. And our response to that surely has to be to offer not our wealth necessarily, but our lives, all that we are and have to Jesus, our glorious shepherd king. Let's sing that psalm now, that psalm that speaks